everybody, welcome to another episode of the Brown Petri Dish. Today on the podcast, we have Dave Heron, winner of Best of Fests at the Rubber City Comedy Festival. One of our good friends, he's uh, just got done doing Grindstone on Friday night, and then we interviewed him on Saturday night. So it's basically a weekend of Dave. It was a good talk. Uh, we got into some of the stuff about the comedy scene back when Dave started. And then we uh, talked about the news and then one of his inspirations as a comic, Dave Chappelle. Um, it was a good talk. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, go check Dave out whenever you can. He's a great comic. love watching him anytime I get a chance. So check him out. He'll give you his Instagram and whatnot at the end. And uh, come see me and Brandon this Friday. We'll be at the uh, Stadium Bar and Grill. And Mentor with Joe Briggs, Joe Graham, and Jimmy Killius, and Josh Sprague hosting. And then uh, I think we'll both be at Grindstone later that night at 2. That Mentor show starts at 7. Grindstone will start at 9. And uh, we'll see you there. Dave Heron on the podcast today. Dave, uh, how long ago did you start doing comedy? Man, it's about a month away from being my eight-year anniversary. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, I remember my mom was like, my mom was like going to see you back when you were doing the amateur contest. So it was oh, yeah. a while back. <laughs> yeah, my Brandon. I don't know if you knew that. My mom and uh, Dave's. Dave's late grandma were pretty good friends, so they. Oh, okay. I thought Dave was just super amazing <laughs> his first few times, and your mom was like, "I saw this amateur on Wednesday night, and he blew my fucking mind." I was just there every week after that. No, I know no, that's what all my friends were telling me. Yeah, oh yeah. I know you won the amateur contest. Did you win the first one, or did it take you a couple? No, I ended up tying with Doug Larlam on my second one. Okay. We were co-winners of the of the amateur contest. Yeah. Well, I never I never won it, so I got second place. Same. Fucking Carter Doherty, that piece of shit. Brian Gallagher, <laughs> my uh, mortal nemesis now. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny is that uh, to like remember the names of the people that we lost to. Yeah. And- <laughs> we can have fake animosity or real animosity towards. Yeah, uh, you know, Jason Moliterno is one of those people for me. I lost uh-huh. in uh, I lost to him in uh, Shakers in Youngstown early. I mean, I was a year and a half in or whatever, and he's hilarious. And uh, you know, for years it was always weird between us, and it was because of me. You know, yeah. Uh, a- after the pandemic. I realized that like none of this shit matters. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. So, you know, uh, once I let go of that, you know, it, it's been real pleasant between us. It was the problem was always with me. 
I feel like all the names we mentioned is our is our nemeses are like the nicest people. Oh yeah. <laughs> Looking back on it, like they're all all three of those guys are super cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Carter's one of my best friends in comedy. <laughs> but Brian's like the yeah. nicest person I think I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, Brian's the guy who got me into comedy. We've told we've told the story plenty of times on the podcast. But yeah, Brian he designed our logo. Yeah, Brian. He designed our logo. He designed my merch. Yeah, Brian Gallagher. If you need any uh, graphic designing, hit him up. Very good. Uh, but yeah, man. It's. Uh, I think the first time. I think the first time I saw you was probably like right before the pandemic. I knew about you because of my mom. But uh, yeah, I think the first time I saw you was the. Uh, no, it wasn't right before the pandemic. When was that? The co-feature finals that you were in. Was that the one where it was on Halloween? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, yeah, so that would have been October 19. Yeah, it was you, Lewis Lee, Gary Campbell, and somebody else. I can't remember who the other person was. I'm drawing a prank. <laughs> but yeah, that was, and then uh, the Rubber City Gun. I think you killed every set you did, pretty much. Yeah, I appreciate it. That was the first time I had done comedy since the entire pandemic. And I was getting on a pretty decent roll. I, you know, I don't get out as often as I should, you know, to take it seriously or whatever. But, uh, right before the pandemic, I was doing probably more shows than I had ever done. And then as soon as that popped off, I was like, shut it down. I pretty much just hibernated for 16 months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I've, any, uh, did you go through any withdrawals after that? You know, I just binged a bunch of, you know, television and video games. Um, I mean, as far as withdrawals, I, you know, I wanted to get back out there, but my, you know, both of my parents are elderly and handicapped and, uh, you know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to get either of them sick because I'm out trying to yeah. jokes at the funny stop or something. You know, so. yeah. I have heard people say when you take a long break and you, you start just taking in a lot of you know media and experiences and things like that, the writing becomes a little bit easier just because you're more to more to work with. Would you say that's true at all? I mean, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the whole pandemic, I pretty much just sat around coming up with grandiose ideas of YouTube channels and podcasts and you know every uh, television show ideas. You know, that's I pretty much spent the entire time thinking of things that I could be doing that aren't live in person in front of people sharing germs with them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it is, it is crazy. Like when, I mean, I only took, I only took like, I think two months off or whatever, however long. Well, no, funny. I took longer than that off because funny stuff closed like the St. Patty's day weekend. And then I didn't come back till like July, but so it was like, it was like three or four months, but I, I felt like, I felt like I just like was a lot more comfortable on stage after the pandemic. I don't know what it was like just that time away. Like when I, when I came back, it just seemed like that was where I was comfortable at. You know, it's, it's, it was, it's weird. What's well, we can do for you. One of, I mean, one of the things that you hear is that, you know, the longer you're in it, the less you care. Yeah. You know, and, and the less you care, the more, attractive it is when you're up there the more in your zone you are and uh you know that's one of the major changes for me during the pandemic is that you know when i was at the uh normally i would get all in my head and get all worked up about the 
you know, the Rubber City Comedy Festival and performing in front of all those comedians, not having done it in that long. Yeah. My friend was asking me, he's like, are you nervous? I'm like, man, I don't give a shit. None of this matters. You know, know, this is, I'm happy to be here. If it hadn't been for that festival, how long I would have put off getting the vaccination. Yeah. You know, I'm all for the vaccination, but I was trying to be the first, you know, one of the first people in line to get it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I had signed up for that festival before the pandemic. Who knows how long I would have pushed it. Yeah. I, mean, I, that's, and I was like, you mean fat people can get it first? I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, I made sure I was, I was considered obese, and I was like, yep, I'm going to get it. Fuck it. Yeah. I think what's so key is just when Mike's first opened back up and seeing so many people at him and how many people were touching that microphone, and I thought, shit, man, if I don't get this vaccine, I am definitely going to get something. It might not be COVID, but I'm going to get something from sharing this mic with all these dirty people. Yeah. Maybe one of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I use those mic condoms. I might bring them back, man. Cause I mean, it, it in the wintertime, especially cause like it could, I mean, I got my first year doing comedy. I got, I got like pneumonia and strep throat and I hadn't been sick in like, I hadn't been sick in like six years. My first <laughs> like six months doing comedy. I got sick as fuck twice. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely it's definitely good to have you back in the scene, man. I mean, you're one of my favorites. It's uh like last night at uh Grindstone was an odd night and uh I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Jimmy Jimmy may or may not have made some Amish people cry. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, I walked in there and saw those people and I was like, I got to put Jimmy up first because because <laughs> like, I wanted them. I kind of wanted them to leave and I figured Jimmy would make him leave. And uh, he, did. he, uh, he tested their faith for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he, he only crossed the line once as far as I'm concerned. And that was whenever he, uh, he was like, Oh, you're just going to ignore me. Is that because you're only allowed to talk to your husbands? <laughs> Like, yeah, uh, that, that might have been crossing the line a little bit. Yeah, could have been uh, worse. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I think Joe Graham saved the show and got the audience back back into it, and and they loved Dave. That was, but it was it was uh, they hated me, and they, <laughs> they hated me. Yeah. like I I started out with my best shit, and I got no response, and I was like, fuck this, what am I going to talk about? And I just. I just was like, I want to die. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want. To <laughs> it was it was bad. It was it was real bad to start off. Like I don't know how you get up there every week, Brandon, and and start off that show, man, because it's such a cold, it's such a cold room when you get. Surprise, man! It took yeah. a long time before, like I don't know. I feel very comfortable on that stage now, and I'm just getting to the point now where it's starting to be pretty solid. You know, opening every week. I mean, you're always going to have those those weird weeks. It's a weekly mic. You know, it's just how it goes. But I, I kind of love it now. I think it's actually helped me a lot as far as uh, going up in front of people that might not even give a shit that you're there. I knew it wasn't going to be good whenever the table in the very front, the dude was like, when I when I went up and was like, hey, guys, we're going to get the comedy show started in about 10 minutes. And he's like, oh, fuck. And I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, man. What's what's even weirder is that that dude sat, him and his buddies sat with their backs to you. Yeah, 
entire time you did their set, just staring creepily at the entire crowd. Yeah. And then waited until you were done to get up and leave. Yeah. He's got no room to say shit. I hung that sign up at like 1 p.m. It was up there a long time. He knew there was <laughs> going to be a comedy show. It's 9 p.m. and it hasn't started yet. That's your fault. Yeah. Yeah, this dude didn't look like the most observant person in the world. No. <laughs> Uh, I don't know the band Anthrax, but Jimmy said he looked like the singer from the band Anthrax. Oh, yeah. Completely bald. <laughs> uh, long, long goatee. Yeah, he that was spot on for sure. <laughs> nice and friendly. Dude, uh, Joe Graham, though, man, he, he kind of he kind of like talked shit to Jimmy about about walking the table. And he was like, dude, that was their one night of electricity and you ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought like he, he, he saved the show with that because like people like got back on the comic side after Joe Graham was like, Yeah, we don't like Jimmy either. You know, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I mean it's been over a year we've been doing that show and I have never seen Amish people in there. I don't know what brought them to Berea. There's not really any Amish facilities near Berea. No idea where they came from. Yeah, they were uh, they were definitely out of their elements, to say the least. There was a there was an Amish little person with them. What the <laughs> hell? Yeah, yeah. Which you know, uh, you know, I took note of, and I'm just like, oh, that's special. And then I'm as I'm watching Jimmy stare into them, I'm like, oh my god, if he starts going in on her, who knows what's gonna happen? <laughs> so this this show might get shut down. Yeah, I thought I thought he was going to for sure. Like, just be like, I didn't know they had you. Like, I didn't know not? They, I didn't know they had your people in the Amish community. <laughs> is that a little person, or is that kid just done so much labor that that's what that's what that kid's turned into? <laughs> oh man, I mean, it is weird. It is weird to me with the Amish that like, like they don't like they're against using electricity and everything, but they can go to a a restaurant. Like where they know, like it's just like if they they don't use the electricity themselves, that's kind of a cop out. I feel like I don't know, man. Everything <laughs> has its loopholes, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just blown away by like their power tools situation, isn't it? That they're like they're allowed to use other people's power tools, or is it like they're allowed to own power tools? They just can't plug them in at their place. Uh, I can't remember the rule with that, but there's some weird loophole about it. I'm like that makes no sense at all. I would think once you've used a power drill, you're never going to want to go back. You're going to be like, we're, we're fucking up on our end. We don't need to be doing this non-electric shit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, every religion does have their loopholes. I mean, I, I was raised Catholic and I mean, we all know, we all know the, yeah. we all know the priests found a way around the, the number oh, one rule in the Catholic church. So I don't, <laughs> for priests anyways is the number one rule. Loopholes. Second favorite hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So uh, I don't know how how uh, how'd you get along with Pete when he first came back? Did he give you shit for not being around? <laughs> man, Pete <laughs> always gives me shit, no matter what I've been doing, where I've been. Uh, yeah, he. It was funny. He was telling the other comics I used to co-feature there bef- uh, before I quit comedy. <laughs> Which, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey man, I had elderly parents. I'm not trying to get them sick, so you know. Yeah, <clears throat> he uh, he does that to people. He does it to people all the time. Like, uh, 
couple of weeks ago, Tim Wolf was telling me that he, he went in there for the first time, like, I don't know, like a month or so ago. And, uh, Pete was like, Pete was like, where have you been? You've been doing Kettler shows. Get the fuck out of here or something like that. And, uh, and, and he's like, no, he's like, no, I'm hanging out. Pete. And he's like, told me to get the fuck out like two or three times. And then, mm-hmm. and then Tim didn't leave. So he's like, do you have five minutes? <laughs> he's like, yeah, Pete, I think I have five minutes. He's like, he's like, all right, you do five minutes. Like, <laughs> I, I can't imagine how many countless people that don't get that that's how Pete is. Like how many people maybe just like walked away or like, well, I guess I, you know, comedy's not for me. This guy hates me or something. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like. Patrick Madison never, Patrick Madison's never, never picked up on how that's how Pete is. And he's still around. He's, he he just, he just like takes it all the time. He doesn't, doesn't knows it bothers him. And, And usually, if you think Pete is being one way, he's actually being the other way. So yeah. sometimes he's being nice and he's not, and, and vice versa. He he cracks me up. Yeah, yeah. He he even said on our podcast last week, like he messes with the people that he likes. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. Yeah, well, he fucking loves me. <laughs> uh, I always do that thing where uh, whenever whenever he does the announcements and I'm hosting. Except for last week, because I was with a clean comic. But usually, when when I'm hosting, I'll be like, "If you didn't understand that he said," and like repeat what he said, and he'll be like, "Fuck you!" Oh yeah. I'm like, and then I'm like, "Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, in Lebanon, fuck you means I love you, son." So tells me that he loves me every time I host. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost nervous. I went through both shows yesterday, and he hasn't yelled at me about anything so far. I'm like, I don't know if he's just preoccupied, tired. What's going on? <laughs> well, Nerve wracking. He probably won't be there tonight. No, he's not. Yeah. Man, one of one of my nightmare scenarios with Pete uh, early in my comedy career was uh, they had like this giant dinner before the show for these people. It was like 40 people booked out the place and everything. And I was hosting and I was coming out of the, the back area into the main room and I ran into him. He dropped a thing of ranch all over the floor. And I'm like, Oh my God, my last time ever working at the funny stop. <laughs> he was super surprisingly cool about it. <laughs> you know, had someone clean it up real quick. It was, it blew my mind. I thought for sure I was going to catch the wrath. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, he's hilarious, man. He's one of my, he's, He's my favorite thing about the comedy scene in in Northeast Ohio. Just like sitting there and talking to Pete on like a Friday or Saturday night and hearing some of the shit that comes out of his mouth. I mean, it's just it's great. Oh, he's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Dave, what's uh something I wanted to start asking people we have before? What's what's the worst what's the worst bomb that you've ever had? Man. Uh <laughs> I don't know about the worst, but the first one that comes to mind was um, it was very early. Um, when I started doing the funny stop, I was doing like a new five minutes every week because I had been going to a bunch of shows there before I performed comedy just as a, as a, a you know, a guest uh, audience member. Yeah. And so, and I had seen a bunch of people do the same jokes a bunch. So I was like, Oh, you know, I want to have new jokes every, every week. 
And, uh, so I wrote a bunch of basically rough draft jokes. And then I went up to Cleveland to do, it might have been Hilario or Barrio. And I just, I hadn't, I hadn't done it in a couple of weeks. I didn't really prepare the way I should have. And I ate shit hard. And it was a rough, rough 45 minute drive back from. That was a, that was a oh, one. Isn't it funny how, isn't it how funny? I don't know about, I don't know about you guys, but like, I don't prepare at all now like I used to. Like, when you first start, you like go, go over it in your head and everything and like, go over it. I, I used to like, I, I had an office job and I used to walk around, pace around my office, like doing my set, like before I went up to funny stop. And now I just like look at a, I just, I just like write down a set list real quick before I go on stage and then just go up and do it. Like it's, it is crazy thinking back about how much I used to stress out about shows and shit. I think I'll, uh, I'll run through some new jokes. Like if I'm throwing a few ones in there that I haven't, you know, done in a while or ones that I just wrote just to, just to like nail the articulation of it and kind of get the muscle memory of saying those words down. But the ones I've been doing a while, I really don't have to as much or like sometimes for a longer set. Sometimes I like to go through like a, a whole 15 to 20 or something like that out loud just to kind of get the order right and everything. I think a lot of me does that just because I tell shorter jokes and I'm kind of like a one-liner comic almost. And I want to make it seem more conversational. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. I do a bunch of different weird things when it comes to this. Um, when I was on the Accidental Comedy Fest, I think in 2014, uh, there's a girl from New York. I saw her write her set list of Lauren Petri, or however you pronounce the last name. Saw her write her set list on her hand. I was like, oh my God, you can do that? <laughs> or doing that for a while. And then that evolved into. I would write my jokes down the post, the spine of a post-it note, and then I would stick the post-it note to my watch. So I would have my set list on my watch and it would just look like I was checking my time or whatever. But I found that basically that kind of kills the moment. Yeah. And like where normally you would come up with a new tag for a joke and, and your jokes would evolve and get better just from being in the moment. Looking at my watch and my set list was like taking me out of that moment. So I kind of stopped doing that unless I've got like new jokes that I want to make sure I remember during the, you know, during yeah. the thing. Also, I record all my sets so I can listen to jokes. And, uh, even that doesn't work sometimes. Yeah. I, I listened to that Batman joke probably six times yesterday and I ended up fucking it all up last night. <laughs> and, and all my friends are like, Oh, it was great. And I'm like, eh, no, it wasn't, but I don't expect you to understand. So yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, I could tell it wasn't as smooth as you would have wanted it to be. Like it was like you were, it seemed like you were kind of thinking through it a little bit. It was still really funny, but it, but it seemed like you were like thinking through it a little bit. Oh, I got lost. It was, it yeah. was a mess. <laughs> it was, I loved, I loved, I loved the punchlines of it though. It was, it was funny. It just, yeah, it seemed like it was, it was not like, like you haven't worked on it as much as some of your other shit that you've worked on. Well, it's a throw. That's a throwback from, I mean, probably six years ago. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's from when I, because I wrote that joke when they announced Margot Robbie was going to be, uh, Harley Quinn. Okay. And now that they're kind of saying that she's not slated to do anything else, I was like, oh, it's topical again. 
Yeah. That's and I listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And I just missed the beats, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I thought different. it was, I thought it was new because it was like topical. That's, that's pretty cool. That you can change that up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I worry about that with, uh, with like some of my older shit, like when I'm featuring, like, like I'm gonna have to go back and listen to a lot of it because I haven't done it in so long. But I don't know. I guess that's all it is. Just listening to it and hope you don't fuck it up. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> but what's the, uh, what's the other side of it? What's the, what's the best, what's the best set you think you've ever had? Man. Um, you know, you can always kill in front of your own people. When I did future headliners at the funny stop, I mean, I brought, I mean, pretty much everybody I know yeah. was there. I did 30 minutes and, and destroyed, but that's all in front of your, you know, people that you know. Uh, I did beans on parade with Kyle Hornhorse and Brian Kenny down in Lima. Also with Buck from the. Rubber, Rubber City, City Comedy yeah. Festival, yeah, Buck was down there. And um I went on right before Brian and, and that was a pretty good one. And those and none of those people knew me. So yeah. you know, it's always it's always it seems like it would be a tough from what I've heard from Kyle describing it on their podcast, it seems like it would be a tough town for comedy too. <laughs> like I I don't know. They they loved me, they loved Brian and Kyle. I mean, it was, that night was just, it's one of those nights where, you know, the crowds, they're ready to laugh. And, you know, they were giggling at everything. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, we'll get into, we'll get into some news here and then we'll talk about, uh, community. <laughs> fucking bullshit. Windows. God damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, we have a couple news stories to get to. This is, uh, from CBS News. This is about, a uh, general who pleaded with Trump to not strike Iran right before he uh, left office. This was uh, this is from CBS News today, I think. Well, tonight, more shocking revelations about the final days of the Trump administration, including serious talk of a potential attack on Iran and a big intelligence failure within the Secret Service leading up to the Capitol riot. We get more details tonight from CBS's Chris Van Cleve. A new report tonight reveals former President Trump's top general was actively working to stop him from striking Iran in the final days of his presidency. If you do this, you're going to have a expletive war, General Mark Milley would say, according to the article. The same concern held by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who told 60 Minutes she called the chairman of the Joint Chiefs personally. I have sought uh, information from those who are in a position to know that there are protections against this dangerous president initiating any military hostilities or uh, something worse than that. Before General Milley left a January 3rd meeting, the president told him his January 6th rally was going to be a big deal and asked, you're ready for that, right? The New Yorker reports it was the last time the two would speak. Newly revealed Secret Service documents show the agency underestimated the threat on January 6th, repeatedly reporting there is no indication of civil disobedience. The agency had given the go-ahead for Mike Pence to travel to the Capitol on the 6th and later had to rush him off the Senate floor. His protective detail implored the vice president to leave the building, but he refused, according to a new book on the final year of the Trump presidency, telling his lead agent, I'm not getting in the car, Tim. If I get in that vehicle, you guys are taking off. I'm not getting in the car. The book says Pence then called the Pentagon with this order. Get troops here. Get them here now. We've got to get the Congress to do its business. 
The former president was critical of General Milley in a statement this week, saying he's a better politician than he is a general. The House Select Committee investigating January 6th has scheduled its first hearing for later this month. Yes, that's a little crazy. Trump was going to... was thinking about attacking Iran in his final days in office, which is nuts. I mean, he would have started a war, like, right before he left the White House. It's, it would have been awesome. I think he was planning on using that Jewish space laser we keep hearing so much about. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I would just say that that's par for the course, like a toddler throwing a tantrum. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just knocking over a cop and saying, I'm not cleaning that up and just leave it. Yeah. yeah, here, you deal with it. That's a really good analogy, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I just thought it was interesting that, that, uh, it's, it kind of makes me feel a little safer to know that, that our, like, high up military generals were actually, like, stepping in and being like, no, you're not doing this. You know, I mean, that was, that's cool. And then I, I also heard that they had a joint chief of staffs meeting and that they uh they were all saying that they would uh if he was going to do that that they would all resign so i mean you can't really order the military to do something if none of the generals that are in charge are are still around so maybe that should just be like a normal case scenario for any president that loses the election you know like right after the results are in they're like all right no more nuclear privileges you don't get you don't get those anymore it really should be i mean I don't know. I don't think we've ever had to deal with this before, though. Usually whenever a president loses, they just go gracefully. You know, I mean, they they write a nice letter to their, you know, I mean, that's that's what happens. But I imagine most presidents probably would, especially when they're on their way out, feel some type of relief that they have so many responsibilities that they're not going to be their problem in a little bit. It's got to sound pretty damn nice. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that. 44 of those presidents were sane. Yeah. 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 So. I don't, I don't know about, I don't know. Yeah. I guess George W. Bush was sane. He was just like a, a dumb person, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Like he, he, uh, I mean, I mean, apparently like he didn't run the country at all. Like it was all, it was all, uh, what's his name? Uh, Dick mm-hmm. Cheney. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. And that's, it's like he was the he was like the he was like the fuck up of the family that wasn't supposed to ever be president. Like they all thought Jeb was going to be the president, and yeah, and then their alcoholic cokeheads <laughs> got the- <laughs> makes you miss the guy a little bit though. In light of recent I, scenarios, <laughs> I always said I hated George W., but I would have loved to have a beer with him. I would have. Like- yeah, it seems like a fun guy. Have you yeah. seen his paintings? His paintings are actually kind of nice. Yeah, he's I would love to have a George W. painting. Oh, yeah. uh, my favorite thing about him is how the internet is infatuated with the way that he looks at Michelle Obama. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's adorable. He always yeah. give a M- Michelle Obama a mint, whatever, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. Like a Snickers <laughs> bar or some shit. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's funny with uh, with George W. Uh, all the movies and shit that've been made about him and and. And being a bad president and shit, and when Trump was president, everybody was like, oh, "Man, I wish George W. Bush, could. <laughs> you know, like it was like uh, Aziz Ansari did that Saturday Night Live monologue where he was like, he was talking about he quoted a George Bush speech after nine eleven um, about how he was saying that we shouldn't hate Muslims or whatever, 
and he was like, man, you know, it's gotten bad when I'm wistfully looking back at George W. Bush speeches. Why <laughs> 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 did that take a turn? <laughs> oh man. Well, we'll uh, get out of that. And uh, we had a, we had a, uh, I don't know if he's a legend of hip hop, but he had one of the most legendary songs in hip hop. Um, a hip-hop artist died today from... I got a little story to tell you. Have you ever met a girl that you tried to date? But a year to make love, she wanted you to wait. Let me tell you a story of my situation. I was talking to this girl from the U.S. nation. He dubbed himself the clown prince of hip-hop. Rapper Biz Marquis reached stardom with his 1989 ode to the brokenhearted. You, you got what I need. But you say he's just a friend, and you say he's just a friend, oh baby, you! Just a Friend reached platinum status and was the biggest hit of Biz Marquis' career. He died Friday at the age of 57. After hearing the song, the New York Times called Biz Marquis the father of bad singing. But the rapper explained no one showed up at the studio to sing that part of the song, so he did it himself. Born Marcel Theo Hall. The Harlem native broke into music during the early days of hip-hop as a beatboxer. She got to a skill he later showed off to mass audiences in the blockbuster Men in Black 2. He faced legal trouble in the 90s for sampling a song without permission. The case set a precedent in the music industry. While he never scored a hit as big as Just a Friend, the song no one wanted to sing, is still on Rolling Stone's list of the top 100 pop songs of all time. You know that it's going to be sung over and over and over again on karaoke nights for probably the next three months. Yeah. I think I just learned more about Biz Marquis in the past two minutes than I knew about him my entire life. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, I didn't know that story about how Biz Marquis um, randomly, like, just nobody showed up at the studio, and that's why he sung the song. I thought it was, like, designed to be sung like that. I don't know. I uh, I got to admit, I never I never loved that song. It was okay, but like never really like went out of my way to to listen to a lot of Bismarcky. No. It was the beat. The the beat yeah. was like super hard for the late 80s. I mean, that's I don't know. But yeah, that's uh an, our insignificant music artist, I think. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's crazy that that there was supposed to be somebody else to sing that part of the song. Yeah. I wonder what it would have sounded like if somebody else had done that. But I mean, that's just classic, you know, making a dollar out of fifteen cents. Yeah, basically, man. And it it took off. I mean, more power to the guy. But yeah. damn, I heard that song a million times during karaoke seasons, and just kind of thought, wow, is that song supposed to be sung terribly? And then you go to listen to the song and realize, yes, it's, that's. <laughs> Totally the case. I wonder. I wonder if like it was supposed to be a male or a female that was supposed to sing it. That's, That's like maybe question. like can you imagine that song if it was like Madonna sang the lyrics to that song? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to imagine like you know how when uh, bands get inducted into the Rock Hall and like other artists perform their songs like at the induction ceremony. Like I'm imagining that song being performed for like Biz Marquis induction and like all the different artists that could be like singing it like Rihanna's hitting the chorus to you got what I need or some shit. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like I have no idea all the different artists that could be doing that, but it would be hilarious. Yeah. Uh, can you guys hear me all right now? Yep. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to exit out of Audacity and I'll just use the fucking audio from the Zoom. That'll that'll work better. I don't know why I always try to record straight to Audacity. I guess because it's easier for me to edit, but it'll <laughs> it'll be all right. Um, do you guys hear about the? Uh, do you guys hear about the trout that are addicted to meth? Yes, <laughs> I did hear about that actually. <laughs> it's uh, there's like two big fish stories in the news this week. I couldn't get a clip of that one, but yeah, there's uh, um, in Prague. They were there were scientists doing a study on these on these trout that were addicted to meth, and uh, because there was so much meth in the waterway, I guess, and they wanted to see if they were really addicted to it, so they took them out, and they had two separate fish tanks, one without meth in it and one with meth in it, and the fish swam to the tank with the meth in it. I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Though. Like, what? How do you separate the water? Yeah, it's a good question. And not even that. Who are you convincing to give you meth just because you said you're putting it in a fish tank? Like, no one's going to buy that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But the uh, the story that I did get um, from is uh, from Minnesota. This is from CBS News. It's about, uh, don't, it's about telling people not to throw their goldfish in a lake. While not as threatening as the shark in Jaws, another creature is causing quite a stir in a Minnesota lake. And it's not gray and white, but gold. Giant goldfish, some the size of a football, have become a regular sight in Keller Lake, a 50-acre body of freshwater located just south of Minneapolis in the town of Burnsville. The creatures are not native to these waters. Instead, they may have been dropped in the lake by local pet owners. And actually, a lot of biological invasions started with people releasing the, the pets into the wild. And once they're out, it's, it's difficult and expensive to control them. As to their enormous size, they may have started as the small goldfish we're used to seeing. Nature took it from there. University of Minnesota professor Shemek Bajer is the owner of Carp Solutions, the company that conducted a fish survey of the lake. Fish can really adapt to their environment, so if they have a lot of food, if they have the right temperature and not much competition, they can grow quite large. Unfortunately, that growth is at the expense of other creatures. Members of the carp family, goldfish are bottom feeders, uprooting plants and starving out native species. But damage has already been done, here and in many other waterways around the world where goldfish have also taken hold. As for the future of the fish in Keller Lake... If they're not becoming abundant, they'll just stay in that lake. Uh, because it's extremely difficult to eradicate them. Don't dump your goldfish. I was just going to say, don't dump them. Just don't. don't dump them. Yeah, but can you eat them? Sure. That's the solution. If you want to, sure. But they you want to? You want me to grill one up for you today? Yeah, let's try. Fine. I did that, that male newscaster was like pissed because she said something so stupid. He's I like, mean, Steve-O made it quite apparent that it's okay to eat the goldfish and vomit it back up. <laughs> right? We all learned that trick. They'd probably be better grilled, though, I mean, if you're going to eat a goldfish. You should probably uh, try it. We're, we're basically like one genetic mutation away from uh, another Simpsons predicts me. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's no way. 
like at least they're at least those goldfish are not addicted to meth yet. That's the important thing. No, I think probably, if they probably wouldn't be as big if they were. Yeah. First of all, who's who's funding the research to determine whether living beings enjoy meth? How do we not already? The answer is yes. Yeah, they're right. Yeah. Surprise, surprise! Meth addictive. Who knew? <laughs> Daryl was uh, right. All these living things prefer meth. That's weird. <laughs> they, showed, they showed like an overhead shot of this one part of this lake, and it's just like literally like thirty of these like football sized goldfish just like, swirling around, and it's like it's crazy, man. I didn't know goldfish could get that big. Like they're they're insane. I mean. You you can have a goldfish for like their whole lifespan, and they never get bigger than what they are in the tank. So like, what the fuck are they eating? Well, they grow to the tank. So yep. if, if you don't have a tank, you just grow as big as you want. There you go. I I failed I failed biology three times in college, so that's probably yeah. why I didn't know that. No. The fucked up part is it makes you feel guilty for all the goldfish that died under your supervision as a little kid. You're like, I could have just dumped it in a lake and it would have thrived, but God forbid I feed the thing every day and that's what's going to kill it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, we'll get we'll get to uh, Dave's comedian here. Um, also, another Dave. <laughs> um, Dave Chappelle. We've had, we've had several people bring Dave Chappelle on the podcast, but uh, this is a unique clip. That we haven't gotten before. Uh, what what about Dave Chappelle? And I don't know why I'm even asking that question, but why? What about Dave Chappelle inspired you? I mean, what it you know what what's not about Dave Chappelle? I mean, uh, when when his first special or well, but you know when the the first special I saw for what it's worth came out, I was young and I just remember being in awe, just loving every minute of it. Me and my friends watched it over and over again. And then when Half Baked came out, we watched that to death. Um, you know, it, it was just right up our alley. And, uh, you know, it's just a vulgar display of craftsmanship, in my opinion, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, everything was just so funny about it. And at that, at that point, you hadn't really seen anything like it. You know what I mean? He was his, you know, his own type of lane and everything. And I, I just, it's the earliest memory I can have of watching stand up is, is, you know, how much I enjoyed that Dave Chappelle stand up. Yeah, it's, uh, you actually did the same thing I did, Dave, and, uh, mixed up, mixed up the names of his specials. Oh, shit. Um, cause I, I was, I was trying to find the joke that you wanted and it's actually in Killing Him Softly. Killing Him Softly, fuck. But it's but my favorite joke of Dave Chappelle is the uh is the Sunny D one. And I've always said that that would've been killing him softly, but it's actually in for what it's worth. So it was like it was like we both got backwards. But uh I'll play the I, I I took both clips because the one Dave wanted was a callback to a previous to a previous part of the special. So I uh I'm gonna play that part first. This is from Dave Chappelle killing him softly. I'll play it and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, everybody should go to the ghetto. I was taken to the ghetto one time. That's the worst. When you get taken and you're not expecting to go. You know, usually you want to know when you're going to the ghetto, like, I'm going to see some wild shit. I got to prepare myself. I'm going to see something crazy. When you're taken, it's different. I had a limousine driver. It was after a show. It was late at night. It was like 3 in the morning. I had a limousine driver. He was a nice guy talking to me and shit. Oh, hey, where you from, dog? D.C.? Word? 
That's a rough city, man. And his cell phone started ringing. Hold on one second. Hello? Oh, what's up, nigga? What? What the fuck? Slow down. What? What the fuck? No! 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 Fuck that, nigga. Fuck it. I'm on my way. Hey. I gotta make a stop real quick. At three o'clock in the morning. I didn't know he was taking me to the ghetto at first. I started looking out the window. I was like, what the fuck? Is gun store, gun store, liquor store, gun store. Where the fuck are you taking me? This don't look good. He didn't say shit. He just pulled up in front of an old rickety building that looked like a project. Now, I'd never been there before. I'm not sure if it was a project, but it certainly had all the familiar symptoms of a project. <laughs> a, a, a fucking crackhead ran this way. <laughs> And then, and then another one jumped out of a tree and shit. <laughs> and I said, I'll be right back. And left me. Took the keys with him and just left me. At three o'clock in the morning, in front of a project in a fucking limousine. This was not good. I was like, man, I gotta look around and see if I can see some landmarks and figure out where I'm at. Might have to escape on foot. Now, this is when I knew I was in a bad neighborhood. You only see this in the worst neighborhoods. Remember, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I look out the window. It was a fucking baby standing on a corner. <laughs> and the baby, the baby didn't even look scared. He was just standing there. I mean, it made me sad, it made me sad, really. You know what I mean? Because I wanted to help the baby. <laughs> I was like, mm, I don't trust you either, I'm sorry. Click. Click. The old baby on the corner trick, eh? I'm not gonna fall for that shit. Where's this limousine driver? You know, I stopped feeling bad. As time goes by, I start feeling worse. Like, man, what is wrong with me? What the hell's wrong? I'm scared of a baby. And this baby could be in trouble. He might need my help. I gotta do something. But I wasn't gonna get out the car. I'm serious, man. I just cracked the window a little bit. There's an old limousine. I can roll it down. And hey, baby. The baby said, I'm selling weed, nigga. I said, oh, shit. Just, he's such a great storyteller where he just has, like, little punches in, in between each line, basically. Like, it's just crazy. It, not only that, the way he's building the context of the scenario the entire time. Yeah. You know, it just everything's a verbal uh, clue to that. The, the next thing, it's just, He's, he's, in my opinion, the greatest ever. I would really love to hear, like, the first couple versions of that story, you know, just to see how it started off, what changes he made. It would really, yeah. 
I'm curious about it. How it evolved. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's crazy when you're doing long stories like that. Like, I always thought, you know, like, when you watch somebody, even a local guy that we all know, Brian Kenny, when you watch him, and we're going to have him on the podcast soon, but when you watch him, you hear his jokes, and, and it just seems like he like they were all just, like, written all at once. But I wonder, like, how many of those jokes, like, he slowly developed, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, that's... Well- and I feel like when it comes to writing something like that, it ends up just being, you know, you've got a story, you know, write out the story the way it's supposed to be. And then you just start going in words to, to figure out where you can uh, cut down on the efficiency so that you're, you know, you're getting the same point across with fewer words. And then you're taking important pieces that have to be there that you have to explain in order to make things work in the context of things. And then just finding a way to say those, you know, in a different and funny way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, you have to, when you're telling long stories like that, I feel like every, every sentence you have to have at least like a little punch, you know, to yeah. keep the crowd interested. And that's what like Dave Chappelle does. Um, um, Mark Marin does that really well. Uh, Brian Kenny, Tom Segura, like Brian oh, yeah. Kenny, Brian Kenny, I've, I've said this before, but he is, we're going to have him on the podcast soon. I t- told him we'd get him on, but he's, he's like one of my favorite comics, like period. Yeah. Like not just Cleveland comics. He's one of my favorite, but, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, the whole, the whole longer story thing. It's different art, man. It really is. And you'll hear some guys like Tom Segura, who's a storyteller that he like envies the guys like like Mark Norman and and Sam Morrell who are just pure joke writers you know and he's like he's like I he's he, at times he's been like I wish I could do that but that's not <laughs> what I do you know that that's funny because he just had Jeselnik on Two Bears One Cave filling yeah. in for Bert while Bert's in Serbia what was in Serbia and uh it was the opposite Jeselnik was saying fucking 60 jokes yeah uh i think tom says you know, that that he would tell about going to the zoo would be about 60 jokes for jeselnik yeah kind of have the opposite transaction where jeselnik is jealous of him being able to i think jeselnik jokes that you know it's great that your bar is set so low <laughs> <laughs> yeah it go, yeah it does go both ways because i've heard like like uh like Mark Norman and those guys talk about it too, how it takes them so long to develop an hour. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Sam Morell is the one that amazes me because he's put out, he's put out two hour specials in the past like year and a half. And then when I saw him at hilarities like a month ago, he did a whole new hour and it's all pure joke writing. It's like, how do you come up with that much material doing short jokes like that over like a, a year and a half span? It's, it's insane. And, and you know, my problem would always be having to remember all of those. Yeah. Like, I would get done and be like, damn, I forgot seven of them. You know? Yeah, yeah. My trick's always just been keeping it all in the same genre or subject or, you know, you just keep the jokes related. So when you're doing shorter jokes, you can do a series of short jokes about a certain subject and then move on to something that is somewhat related to that next subject. Yeah, that's how, I mean, that's how I'm trying to work out my, uh, my like Texas childhood material that I've been doing lately. And it's, and it's coming along 
pretty i have about 10 minutes of it now and it started out with just like one little joke so it's it's coming along pretty good but it's not really all one long story it's like it's like three or four different stories that all go together but yeah dave Chappelle, man he was he's now at a point in his career where he's more like uh more considered like uh george carlin type where he's like a philosopher and a comedian george carlin at the end of his career where he's like more of like a philosopher comedian <laughs> now you know i mean he's talking about more shit that matters now which is like he always he always was a great comedian but now he's talking about like shit that i think he cares a lot more about and and like sticks and stones and whatnot and stuff he, he's always pe- he's always peppered it in yeah and now he's just giving more emphasis to it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's so masterful of a joke writer. Like his his last SNL monologue that he did where he just like he had like that two minute setup for the one punchline. It was like, Jesus, dude, that's ballsy to do that. With his with his grandpa? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I mean Yeah, I mean that's like a master class. Yeah. It's crazy. We'll get to uh, the second clip, the one, the one Dave originally wanted me to play. This is uh, this is at the end of that special, and it's another masterful thing he does. Is uh, is uh, it might be? I don't remember Dave Chappelle ending a lot of his specials on a callback, so it might have been, it might have been one of the only ones that he did that with. But it was a masterful job that, that he did with it. This is uh, also from Killing Him Softly. This is the end of his Killing Him Softly special. I don't like that. Sometimes you go to them single clubs, you see too much. I was on the road, one club, and I seen a, uh, I seen a thing they call a thong contest. Yeah, I seen a thong contest. Scandalous. Yeah, it's some scandalous shit, all right. And I couldn't get over that, man. Because a DJ, you know, I was dancing with a girl, and the DJ said, everybody that wants to be in the thong contest, please report to the DJ booth. The girl's like, excuse me. <laughs> they put on that song, so, let me see something. Them girls was going off. Some of them pulled their pants down, some pulled their skirts up, all of them just shaking their butt. Some of them didn't even have underwear on. They was just fucking shaking their butt. I mean, really, I was fucking disgusted. But I couldn't turn away. <laughs> but no, please, for the squeamish, just plug your ears. All right, one of the girls, you get so into it, there's no cops around, right? But she actually, I'm sorry to tell you all this, she spreads her butt cheeks open. She spreads her butt cheeks open in the middle of a crowded disco, right? I was disgusted, because I was like 10 yards away from her. I was like, oh my God. Is that her, is that her birth canal? <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Oh, good God almighty, is that a, is that a baby? <laughs> I know that's gross, it's gross. Cause it was a baby. It was the same baby from the project. She's like, I snuck in the club, nigga. I got that weed if you need me. Guys, thank you very much. That is so good. Uh, yeah, I mean, just I, I felt, I felt that way at the strip club when we went last time. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, like I was kind of disgusted, but I couldn't look away. You know. Yeah. 
I mean, I was a little worried. I brought my girlfriend. It was her birthday. And uh, I thought, I'm not really supposed to look. And then she would, like, tap me on the shoulder and be like, look at that one. And I'd be like, all right, if you insist. I mean, <laughs> take a look. <laughs> I think I think uh, most people would agree Dave Chappelle is, is the best comic of our generation. And a lot of people like Dave think he's the best of all time. I mean, he's... He's definitely up there. I don't know. I don't know really who I would put above him. I mean, yeah, it's a tough I mean, one. You know, everybody's got their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends. I mean, it's it is it is different with everybody. Um, I don't know. I my favorite comics are Mark Maron and Mitch Hepburn as my top two, but but I I would say like as far as like. Skill wise and what he's meant to comedy, I would say Dave Chappelle is probably the best. But uh, oh yeah, man, it was uh, it was good talk. We uh, got I think we got I think we got it all done. <laughs> oh yeah, man, we nailed this one. Dave, do you have any advice for the newer people starting out to listen to podcasts? Uh, I don't know, man. Just you know, get out there and do it. it it's just it's just reps. Uh, being on stage, getting that, that repetition. You know, I mentioned I would have a hard time remembering a bunch of short jokes, but I guess if, you know, if you're getting out often, it, it's not that hard because you just get it, you know, it becomes muscle memory at that point. So yeah, just, uh, just go as much as you can, I guess, you know, don't do it. You know, you could put an asterisk on the end of my eight years and, and cut it down to whatever because, you know, I don't get out as often as everybody else, but, uh, you know, one of these days, my work ethic will change somehow, and <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, I'll be all the way out there all the time and everything. But you know, sometimes you know, by the time you get done with work and, and everything like that, sometimes I just don't want to do shit. So, <laughs> oh, we yeah, all feel I, that. I'm to the yeah. point, I'm to the point now where I need to start doing a little, little less. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. like, I'm 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 getting a little bit like where I'm like, damn, I need to have more of a, I need to have more of a normal life. Like it's because I'm having I, I have trouble writing sometimes because I just don't do anything but work and go to comedy shows, you know. Yeah, it's like I need to live more of a life so I have more to write about, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all I've written yeah. about in the past fucking month is is shit from my past, you know. <laughs> like I haven't like had any like new observational jokes in the past in the past like month at least, and that's not good for me. I usually usually writing all the time. Yeah, you gotta, you know, uh, engage people in public to come up with that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's why I went to the mall today. I was like, I don't know, I might see something at the mall that, <laughs> that I could write about, you know? Miles Garrett. Yeah, yeah. I went to, they had this new place called Hello Bistro at the, in the food court, and it's like salads and burgers, which is a weird combination. Yeah. And I walked up. I was gonna get a buffalo chicken salad with fries on it because that's like my favorite salad because it's it's fat salad, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I walk up and I look down and their lettuce is like brown. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like this is all you do is salads. Like how is your lettuce brown right now? <laughs> like, it was weird though. Yeah. And then I, I got some sabaro and then I and then I sat down and I saw Miles Garrett walking by. It was cool. It's a good day. Yeah. I I hate the mall though because I I'm a shoe guy and I walk into every shoe store and they have nothing new. It's just 
the same old white air forces. Like they have those, uh, they have those shoe shine guys at at the summit one. I know in the the Strongsville one, they got those guys that are always like waiting up front, trying to say like, "Hey man, hey, come over here for a sec. Let me let me shine your shoes, and I'll expect a huge tip from you." Yeah, no. Even though you're like wearing fucked up vans that have been destroyed for the last three years, you're like, I can't convey (laughs) to you how little I want you to shine these. No, they don't have that. Uh, Chapel Hill has that, but then they just take your shoes. That's ah. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, about to be an Amazon warehouse. Yeah, man, Hill was wild. Yeah, it was, man. You, dude, you used to have people. You used to walking through the parking lot in Chapel Hill. You'd have a guy pop out and like, like try to sell you wristwatches out of the inside of his jacket and shit. Like it was, ah. it was crazy. Uh, Dave, you have any shows you got coming up that you want to promote or anything, or people follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm at uh, Jack of All Dave's on uh, social, um, you know, on Instagram or whatever. Uh, I'm going to be on that, that crowd work show um, at the Funny Stop on the 29th. Cool. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's all I got booked at the moment. Yeah, come come out to that, everybody. That's a new thing Drew Miller's trying to start up. It's going to be a good it's going to be a good thing, I think. Uh, get some comedians working on their crowd work. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that I kind of don't haven't really done too too much of. Yeah. And uh, you always see jokes on you up at hilarities, which you know, you know, you would love to do, but at the same time, like you don't want to eat shit at hilarities. Yeah. Anything, so yeah, you don't want to do what John Brown did when he went on jokes on you. <laughs> No. Oh, is that just shit? Uh, yeah, no. It. Uh, I'm. I'm just glad Bruton. I'm glad Bruton didn't put my video on YouTube. He wasn't. Yeah. He, he was that much of an asshole to put that on YouTube. So yeah, it's because <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, it wasn't good. It was. Uh, my first two minutes were great, and then I ran out of shit to ask people, and I just looked like a fucking idiot on <laughs> on stage for like three. Or four oh minutes. man, yeah, that's. So that's the exact, like, as soon as I saw that Drew was putting together that one for the funny stop, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I could go eat shit at the funny stop all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, Brandon is, uh, co featuring for who? Mike Conley? Mike Conley. Yeah. First weekend in August. That'll be cool. In August. And where can people follow you on social media, Brandon? Petrified Comedy on Instagram and Twitter, and then just Brandon Petrie on pretty much everything else. And you got to come to that uh, the show in Menor, the uh, with oh, Stadium yeah. Barn Grill. John and I are going to be there. Yeah, I forgot to promote that because he hasn't promoted it at all. So it's uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I had to double check with him. I messaged him recently. It was like, hey, is this uh, is this show still going on? I haven't heard anything from you in months. Uh, it's coming up. <laughs> yeah, that'll be uh, next Friday or this Friday if you're listening on Tuesday. Uh, the 23rd at Stadium Bar and Grill in Menor. Uh, that'll be me, Brandon, Jimmy Killius, Joe Briggs, and Joe Graham. I yep. believe. Yeah. Um, and then uh, last weekend of the month, July 30th and 31st, I'm featuring for Ray DeVito at Funny Stop. Come out for that. Uh, you can follow me at John Brown Comedy. And I think that's about it. Um, Dave, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Much appreciated. Brown Petri Dish is created by John Brown and Brandon Petrie. Logo designed by Brian Gallagher. 
music by Jared Bailey. Audio version of the podcast is produced and edited by John Brown. Video YouTube version produced and edited by Harrison Poole.